you, worship team. Let's continue in worship by turning in your Bibles to the book of Mark. Book of Mark, we are going to be in chapter 6, verses 30 to 44, and looking at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, really excited uh, to look at this passage with you this morning. Uh, prayer is that we'll come away from this story uh, with a new and greater appreciation for who Jesus is and what he's calling each of us to do. So, uh, really excited about this story. I'm going to read the whole thing. And then we'll pray. First, I'm going to cough and clear my throat. He's always, Mark, you're always on it. Good work, man. And then, uh, so now I'll read the whole story. And then we'll pray. Look there with me. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. All right. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we have this record of what he did and what he taught and the miracles. And Lord, I pray that um, this would, they would become more than just stories to us or interesting things, but um, that we would come to see Jesus for who he truly is, the Son of God. And so, Lord, there's so much uh, in this passage. So help me as I preach and help us just have open eyes to see uh, what you want us to see. In Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, a couple of months ago, I was at, uh, here in the office, and Emily uh, sent me a text, and it said something to the effect of, uh, it was on a Friday, and she said, uh, I don't, would you be able potentially to uh, teach uh, women's Bibles and breakfast tomorrow? And I uh, said, really? And she said, don't worry, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm going to uh, ask like four more people. 
And uh, if they all say no, you're going to be the last resort. We can get the video off the screen now. If they say no, you're going to be the last resort. And so, okay. And so, you know, I saw all these people and they all said no. And so there I was as the uh, last resort and the uh, teacher of women's Bibles and breakfast, ironically, as the most ruggedly masculine man in our church uh, teaching. <laughs> what? Anyways, I was teaching women's Bibles and breakfast, and we went over this uh, story. And uh, so if you were a part of that, uh, as we studied it over, uh, uh, you know, egg white quiche and boysenberry tarts or whatever we had that day, uh, then you already have a heads up, uh, but you know that there is a lot in this story. And so we have a lot of ground to cover this morning. In fact, I am going to preach five sermons on this text this morning, okay? So um, buckle up. If any of you want to, maybe you want to send somebody ahead to get a, just reserve a table at Jim Dandy. If you're worried about how late we'll be here, I understand. Uh, but we have a lot, uh, a lot to cover here this morning. Uh, so wait, it's kind of, this passage reminds me of, you ever do these like color by number things where like, you know, each number is a color and so you color the one and then you use one color and then you go back over with another color and then another color and it kind of, as you do it, it like progressively the picture becomes more and more vivid, right? It's always been there but you see it more. And that's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to go over the story five different times with five different colors and by the end we'll hopefully at least have most of the story colored in with all the layers of depth uh, that are here. Uh, so that's where we're starting. Uh, so what's, what's the first color you guys want to do? Blue, I heard. All right, so starting with blue. Okay, here we go. So uh, we're going to start at the very beginning, which is uh, the, the best place to start. And there are two important events that have taken place right before this story. So if you see... Uh, uh, you look a little bit earlier in chapter 6, in verse 7, Jesus has sent out his 12 apostles two by two on a missionary journey. And uh, that's what they did, and they were going and, and preaching the word, and they were very busy the whole time, and they, uh, a lot of stuff happened, and so they get back and they return to Jesus. And in the meantime, uh, something else major happened, which you can see just later on. Uh, which is that Jesus' cousin died, right? John the Baptist had been beheaded. And so at the very beginning of this story, I think we should just kind of feel the context here. We have exhausted disciples and a grieving Jesus. And uh, in fact, the disciples, it says they'd been working so hard, they didn't even have time to eat. And so everyone involved at the beginning of the story is just like physically and emotionally and spiritually just like, wiped out. We've all, we've all been there before, right? And so it's from this place of really exhaustion that Jesus suggests, let's go somewhere and just rest for a while. And so they get in the boat, and the way you kind of figure is they're cutting across a boat to get uh, to this desolate place, and uh, the crowds either see it or find out where they're going, and so instead of taking the shortcut across the lake, they're all just like running around, and the people, it says, from all the towns, so they're kind of gathering more people as they go, and probably, you know, the younger, faster people got there first, but eventually everyone gets there, and so they get across the lake, and uh, once you know it, there's uh, more work <laughs> there. This place that was supposed to be a place of rest and instead, uh, more people who are wanting uh, to be ministered to. And I don't know about you, Emily can attest to this, 
I do not respond well at all when something like this happens where I'm like, think like, okay, I'm going to get to this place of rest, and then that place of rest is not a place of rest, and I get real cranky. Do I not get real cranky? Yeah, it's, I'm working on it, okay? But uh, I don't do well, and I imagine the disciples uh, weren't doing very well with this news either. Um, but Jesus, you know, uh, never sinned. And so what was his response? What does it say? He had what? Compassion. He had compassion on the crowd. So what does he do? He starts to teach them, right? For how long? A really long time, right? (laughs) So long, it's getting late, and the disciples, who I'm sure are ready for these people to go away so they can finally start to rest, um, come to him and seems like kind of tap him on the shoulder, and it's like, okay, Jesus, like, great sermon, (laughs) you're killing it up here, but... uh, it's getting late. I think everyone's getting hungry, so let's, let's just wrap it up. I'm sure, why don't we just have them go and get something to eat and, uh, and, and kind of, you know, get a move on this. And what is Jesus' response to them? He says what? He says, you give them something to eat. Uh, what was their response? What food do you want us to give them, Jesus? Um, okay, so I want you to imagine... Uh, let's go back in time one week. It's uh, Easter Sunday last week, so really full, a lot of people in here. And imagine uh, that I'm just on a roll preaching, right? I'm just going and going and going, and it's just 1.30, 2 p.m., and if people are getting hungry, so finally one of the deacons comes up. It's like, Pastor Mike, it's, it's Easter Sunday. Uh, let's just, you know, people are ready to go home and eat. Like, yeah, it's, it's enough teaching for now. And, so, well, and, and imagine my response says, Let's just feed them right here. Now, some of you are event planners, right? You're like, you specialize in feeding like big crowds of people. um, And you know that there's a little bit more work that goes into it than just saying, let's just feed them right here, right? It's just like, well, we don't have any food. Like, I'm just like, okay, well, let's go check the kitchen and see just like what we have. And so somebody goes like, all right, we got like four oranges and some expired mustard, which is probably pretty accurate actually to what we have in the kitchen. And so imagine I get that news, and I'm like, all right, set up the tables, you know, let's, let's get ready to have lunch. And he's like, what are you even talking about? That, like, that is where the disciples were, like, what do you mean we're going to feed them? What do you mean have them go sit down? Um, there's, there's no food here, right? Um, that's what happens. Jesus says, how much food do we have for a crowd of you know, 5,000 men, uh, which is you know, over 10,000 people, probably including women and children. And uh, they have five loaves of bread and two fish, which doesn't feed a whole lot of people. Um, but Jesus says, have them sit down. So they sit down. And what happens? We don't really know, do we? Like, Jesus breaks the bread, and all of a sudden... There's enough food for everyone. We aren't given any like, details of how this happened, but there's just enough food for everyone, and everyone gets fed. And so somehow Jesus has multiplied five loaves of bread and two fish for enough food for all these people. And there's some food left over, isn't there? How much food's left over? Twelve baskets. That's the story, Right? So what do, what do we do with that? And this is one of, we talk about this sometimes that we've been studying the life of Jesus, is sometimes you read a story, and it's like, that's really cool. Jesus is amazing, and he can do some really cool stuff. 
And other than that, I don't really know what, what I'm supposed to do with this story. But it's a great story. And praise Jesus, he did a miracle, right? And fed all these people. And that is, uh, that's exactly right. That is one of the takeaways that we're supposed to have from the story. Jesus is amazing, and he can do some really cool stuff. Is that true? Jesus is amazing, and he can do some really cool stuff. And that's the first color that we've just colored into our little color by number thing. That, what was that, blue? All right, so let's go back, rewind, joop, 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 right? No, 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 that was dumb. I don't, anyways, let's rewind. What, uh, what's the next color? Red, okay, here we go, red. We'll go, somebody said purple, we'll get you next time. All right, so red is the next color. We've got to go back to the beginning. We've got to fill this in a little bit more. Let's think about what else is happening. So Jesus and the disciples, believe it or not, need some rest. They're really tired. And the disciples have been working hard. Jesus is grieving and mourning. And so Jesus suggests a place for them to go. Where does Jesus say that they should go rest? Somebody say it. Verse 30. A what? A desolate place. Anyone else have a different translation? A quiet place, maybe. Um, Or a remote place, maybe. Some of you says remote place. Uh, desolate place is the translation in ESV. I think all these translations are actually not exactly right because they're kind of missing what's happening here. It sounds like you read it. The first time you just read it, it's like, well, Jesus is saying, let's just go somewhere. We've been around a lot of people. Let's go somewhere where there aren't a lot of people, where it's quiet, where it's remote. But what Jesus actually says is let's go to the wilderness to rest. That word means wilderness. I'm not a big rest in the wilderness kind of guy. Some of you are, and that's good for you, but uh, not me. I'm, uh, you know, that's, uh, but that's what Jesus says. Let's go into the wilderness to rest. So what happens? They go to the wilderness, and a bunch of people show up. We know this. And they get hungry, and there's nothing to eat, and they don't have any bread. So what does Jesus do? He provides the people in the wilderness who are hungry with bread in a miraculous way. Let's think about our Bibles. Think about the Old Testament. Can any of you think of a story when there's a lot of people in the wilderness who are hungry and then God provides them bread in a miraculous way? Yeah, manna in the wilderness, right? It's from Exodus uh, 16. Uh, God provides manna from heaven. We talked about this story, actually, when we were talking about the Lord's Prayer and the idea of give us our daily bread, right? What this story is showing us, A, Jesus is amazing and can do some really cool stuff, but B, that Jesus is now the new and better Moses. Just like God provided manna in the wilderness for a group of wandering Israelites, now we have a picture of Jesus in the wilderness, it's not an accident, doing the exact same thing. And this is, the Bible just blows me away all the time. Because the author doesn't come out and say, this was to demonstrate that Jesus was the new Moses, right? It would have been easier if we we did, but uh, it doesn't say that. But this is exactly what we're supposed to see in this passage. Not only is Jesus amazing and can do some really cool stuff, but also 
Jesus took these people to the wilderness so that he could demonstrate something mind-blowing, which is that he is now the new and greater Moses. What, what happened through Moses, God working through Moses and providing the manna, was an incredible miracle, right? It's something that was passed down from generation to generation. God's provision for Israel in the wilderness. And now Jesus is doing the same thing, and that's really cool. So that's the second, that's the second layer. So now let's, uh, let's move right into the third layer of the story. We're going purple now. And uh, here we go. Let's rewind again. Back to the beginning. You guys still with me here? No, we're not apparently. That's okay. I'm just going to keep going anyway. Jesus and his disciples need some rest. So they get in a boat and they row it out into the wilderness so they can get some time by themselves. But guess what happens? A whole crowd shows up. Can you believe it? Yes, you can, because we've just been talking about this two times now. And I want you to notice what happens in Jesus' heart when he sees the crowd. His grieving, exhausted heart, heartbroken over his cousin and ministry partner being executed and desperately needing rest. And he sees this crowd, and look at verse 34 again. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like, what? Sheep without a what? Shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. Now, some of you know, uh, we're not big-time animal people in our house, uh, but we just got a a new dog named Freddie, and he's just a little 10-pound puffball of a thing. And I'm growing to love our dog. He, he was keeping us up uh, last night, so we weren't super thrilled with him. But um, uh, I'm growing to love our dog. But uh, one thing that having a dog has done for me now is it's like opened us up to this world of people who just love animals. We took him to the Tipton Park the other day, and there are just all these people just like, oh, my goodness, can I please pet your puppy? Can I? And he's like, barking and it was just a real mess but like there's people there's people and raise your hand if you're one of them just love animals right just like you see a, a lot of us a good percentage of us actually so I'm getting there okay uh just be patient with me I'm getting there but uh you kind of get this in a sense uh you see a, a helpless animal something kind of like happens in your heart right uh you can't really explain you just have this compassion you want to take care of that animal and uh and so if you kind of know what that feels like in your heart that's i think that's kind of like a taste of understanding much different way but still kind of the same of how jesus felt as the great shepherd when he looked at his sheep who didn't have anyone to take care of them right that's what a shepherd does shepherd takes care of a sheep and jesus saw the crowd and uh, the disciples saw the crowd as just, oh boy, boy, more work right after we need a rest. Jesus saw them different, didn't he? They were sheep without a shepherd. And they start to get hungry. And uh, look at verse 39. Look at what Jesus does eventually when the, he has the whole conversation with the disciples about, well, who's going to feed him food? And then uh, look at verse 39. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the what? Green grass we don't get details like that necessarily all that often we don't see like color details very often in the bible so that should kind of stick out to us like okay what's going on there 
So Jesus is compared to a shepherd. The people are sheep, and the shepherd tells the sheep to lie down on green grass. See where I'm going with this? Can you think of anywhere in your Bibles, maybe anywhere in the Psalms, where the Lord is a shepherd and maybe there's some lying down on green grass? What is it? Psalm 23. Who knows it? Somebody, can you say the first few lines of Psalm 23 real loud? Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Well, that's interesting. There's a lake right there. <laughs> he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And on and on. I mean, come on, right? You think the author's trying to get us to meditate on the psalm as we read this story? I think so. I missed that for most of my life in studying this story. Jesus is the good shepherd, right? He tells us that in John. The good shepherd actually lays down his life for his sheep. He has compassion for his sheep. He takes care of his sheep. He feeds them. He waters them. He leads them on the right paths. He helps them avoid the wrong paths. And even when his sheep have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, who's with them? Jesus is. And you know what's crazy about this story? Think about this with me. I don't know what I think about this, but the more I read it, the less I'm convinced that the crowd even knew that a miracle took place. Okay? Look at the end of the story. What's the crowd's reaction? We don't see. They just ate, right? So many of Jesus' miracles, the gospel writer tells us the crowd was astonished or amazed or went and told everyone about what had happened. You don't see any of that here. And I wonder if that's intentional. And I wonder if this isn't so much a picture of Jesus like blowing the crowd's minds by this amazing miracle as much as it is just a beautiful picture of Jesus just taking care of his, his hungry sheep and his sheep being dependent on him for food. It doesn't really matter. Maybe they knew, maybe they didn't. I don't know. But it doesn't tell us what we see the focus clearly from the author isn't, wow, the crowd was amazed by the miracle. The, the focus is the shepherd takes care of his sheep. They sit down and they eat and they're satisfied. And I think that teaches us something that's just so profoundly beautiful that you can be satisfied in Jesus, that he's your good shepherd. And you can go where he tells you and you can sit down when he tells you to sit down and you can eat and be satisfied. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's only blue, red, and purple. So what's next? Yellow, okay. I'm not really focusing on the color scheme. It might be kind of ugly by the time we're done, but we'll go yellow next. Because there's something else happening in this story. I know. <laughs> Something that's actually not going to become clear until later. Because here's what's crazy about this miracle. This isn't the only time this happens, is it? This happens like pretty shortly after this, doesn't it? If you're reading in Mark, in your quiet time, you probably, if you're reading, you know, a little bit each day, you probably get to chapter 8 and read the story of Jesus feeding the crowd. And you're like, wait a second, didn't I just read this? And you turn back like, oh yeah, this, 
This happened twice. What's going on? And it's exactly the same, right? Jesus, there's a big crowd gathered, nothing to eat. Jesus wants to feed them. So he gathers the disciples. And what do the disciples say? Hey, Jesus, what, let's do that thing you did before. No. What do they say? How are we going to feed this crowd? We don't have anything to eat. Guys, I don't even know if the disciples knew what happened before. It's, I, I can't work it out. I know the disciples are very dense, right? And they often don't learn the lessons that they're supposed to. And amen, that's all of us, right? But I mean, this is like shocking. The only thing they would say is, well, how are we going to feed them? We don't have anything uh, to give them. And uh, so what does Jesus do? The same exact thing. He gathers as many loaves as they have, and then he breaks them, and he blesses them, and he feeds the whole crowd. And then... So look there with me in Mark 8. A few verses later, what are the disciples complaining about in verse 16? Anyone there? They don't have bread. What is wrong with you guys? Verse 16. They began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, what is wrong with you guys, <laughs> essentially? Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Or in how we would say it today, don't you get it? Are your hearts hardened? I see you have eyes. Do they work? <laughs> I see you have ears. Can you hear anything that I'm ever telling you? <laughs> And then, what would you expect him to say next? They're, they're saying, we're hungry, we don't have anything to eat. What I would expect him to say next is, don't you remember, I can just make bread happen when, whenever, so why don't you just ask me for bread and I'll give you some bread. That's not what Jesus said. He says something very different. Look at verse 19. This is what Jesus is frustrated that they didn't get about feeding the crowds. When I broke the five loaves... For the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? 12 baskets, seven baskets. That's very important to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but then I've read this story in the past. It's just kind of been like, well, there was 12 baskets left over, and that just shows that Jesus provided even more than they needed, right? But those numbers of baskets of food are very important to him. In fact, it seems to be the whole point of it, right? That's what he's saying. Don't you get what happened back there? There were 12 baskets of food, and there were seven baskets of food. So we need to think about this. Those numbers... 12 and 7, when you're reading your Bibles, should be like, er, 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 er. these are important numbers. <laughs> what does the number 12 represent in Scripture? Israel, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. What does the number 7 represent in Scripture? Like completion or perfection. So Jesus is having them think about this. The first time he uh, did the miracle, he was in a Jewish region, <laughs> and there were 12 baskets of food left over. And the second time he did it, he was ministering among Gentiles in a Gentile region, and there were seven baskets of food 
left over. And right before Jesus gives the bread to the people, what does he do both times? He breaks it and he blesses it and he offers it to them. Can you think of a time in the Bible when the breaking of bread might be significant? Right? The Last Supper, right? This is my body broken for you. Jesus says, don't you understand? It was never about the bread. Y'all can't stop thinking about bread. It's not about the bread. I'm the bread. I'm the provision. I'm the gift to the people. I'm enough for the Jewish people. I'm enough for the Gentiles. The 12 baskets of bread show I am the bread for Israel. The seven baskets left over for the Gentiles show the fullness and completeness of my work bringing the Gentiles into the kingdom. Jesus is the new Moses providing bread not just for Israel, but for all the nations. Jesus is the good shepherd, not just providing temporary food, but eternal satisfaction. It was just never about the bread. And sometimes we're tempted to go to Jesus to have our temporary needs satisfied, aren't we? Sometimes we have a problem. We think, well, Jesus is the one who can fix this, so let me go to him with that. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. Just a question of what are you going to him for? Just the fix, the quick fix of the bread? Or for eternal satisfaction? Because you're going to get hungry again. You're going to have another problem someday. And if Jesus is only a quick fix for your temporary hunger, eventually you'll go somewhere else to get fed. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He doesn't want you to just have one meal. He wants you to be satisfied in him forever. Amen? It's not about the bread. It's about eternal life in him. Praise the Lord. We could stop right there, but there's still one more layer, okay? So we got to rewind one more time. I'm sorry to do this, but I promise it's going to be worth it. We got one more color to fill in. Let's do blue, okay? Here we go. And then we'll have mostly the, the, the picture filled in. I'm sure there's more. Oh, we did blue. Green, okay, thank you. Thank you, all of you. I know you're taking copious notes about what colors we've done so far. Thank you. Let's set the scene one more time. We're in the wilderness. We have tired disciples. We have a hungry crowd. Jesus' teaching is going on and on and on. And the disciples say, just please have them go get something to eat. And what does Jesus say in response? You give them something to eat. I've kind of missed this. You just kind of read over it because I just know what's going to happen, right? They're hungry and Jesus, I just know the end of the story, so I just kind of skip over that. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Now, there's one detail in this story that I hadn't been able to figure out, which is why is there fish, right? I mean, it would just make, I mean, I know fish is like a good source of protein and whatever, and, but like, if the whole point for Jesus was like he's the bread of life and, and the bread from heaven and provided the bread to all peoples and to, to Israel and to the nations, and why is there fish? And, uh, 
And so you're going to have to go with me on this one. This is just Pastor Mike territory here. I had, there, maybe somebody else wrote this. I didn't find this anywhere, but just go with me on this one. Because I thought about this, and I, I remember there's another story, another time toward the end of the Gospels when there's a miraculous amount of fish involved. It's John 21. I want you to turn there in your Bibles. John chapter 21. Right after Jesus' resurrection is when this takes place. And the disciples actually haven't seen Jesus yet. They're out on the boat fishing, and they uh, can't catch any fish. And this has happened before. And then some guy calls them from the shore and tells them to cast their net on the other side. And lo and behold, they pull in 153 uh, whoppers, big fish. And immediately they know it's Jesus and they race to shore, and then look what happens next in verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Okay? I might have something here. It doesn't mean it's necessarily connected, but look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Because of the whole denying him three times thing, which is another sermon. He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, what? Feed my sheep. Jesus told his disciples in the wilderness among the green grass, talking about the sheep without a shepherd. You give them something to eat. And they had the disciples go, have them sit down. And pass out the meal. And at the very end of Jesus' time on earth, he tells Peter, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. You give them something to eat. That's it, guys. That's the whole, that's, that's it. Do you love Jesus? Feed his sheep. Feed them with what? The bread of life from Jesus. That's the pattern of discipleship. Sheep who have been fed with the bread of life, feeding other sheep the bread of life. You see that? Let me say that again. The pattern of discipleship. Sheep who have been fed the bread of life by Jesus, feeding other sheep with the bread that they get from Jesus. That's what you're called to do. What's that look like in your life to feed God's sheep? I don't know. I can't tell you other than you're just open to listening to his voice and obedient. And he says, feed my sheep. And then here's what's going to happen is you'll look around and be like, I don't even know how to do that. There's no food here. What, how, what am I supposed to do to feed God's sheep? How helpless did the disciples feel to feed the crowds? Very helpless. It was impossible. What did Jesus do? He made it possible. So when you think 
that's impossible. I can't, I can't do that. How am I going to feed God's sheep? That's where you want to be because that's when the bread of life shows up and does a miracle because here's the thing about Jesus is he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish and he's amazing and he can do some pretty cool stuff, can't he? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and so we know what that means. We're called to feed your sheep. Lord, we confess that um, most of the time we feel like uh, we feel pretty inadequate to do that. So we praise you and thank you that Jesus the bread of life, the new Moses, the good shepherd provides plenty of bread. Not just for Israel, but for all the nations. He's the one who lets us feed your sheep. So Lord, may we as your sheep feed on the bread of life. May we be obedient to what Jesus said to feed your sheep. Help us, God. We need your help to do that. We thank you that you provide a way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>